It is the 200 level episode 220, Much Ado About Nothing. Now, this title has a few different meanings. The first one is that what happened on Monday with Brett Bielema at his press conference, talk about making a mountain out of a molehill. There was one quote in particular, which has, of course, made the rounds on Twitter, on Facebook, social media of all kinds, and eventually into the sports pages of what Brett Bielema said about roster construction, namely the offensive line. Now, this was jarring in its honesty, and trust me, I will be plenty critical of Brett Bielema and the staff in this episode because all the orange-colored glasses that I had on at the beginning of the season, along the way, some yellow flags have popped up, which make me a little bit leery that this is going to work. Now, it's a little bit early to say that. Um, I think that we have a long way to go, and that's part of the reason that I say much ado about nothing. Another reason I named this show much ado about nothing there's not much on this team. There's not much to make of this season. So what can you do, right? You have this quote from Brett Bielema that turns into a big deal. And at the end of the day, the game that's coming up in just about 48 hours from when you probably listen to this is not interesting at all. There's nothing there. And it's kind of a bummer to be sitting here at the end of October and not really have any interest in what goes on on the football field. So much ado about nothing in a few different ways, and I hate to sit here before basketball's even played an exhibition game and sort of write the obituary for this particular Illini team and turn my eyes to the future. And as I mentioned before, the critical eye that I'll be putting on Brett Bielema and the staff does include the future. You know, this is something that right now there is no certainty that this is going to work out. And while I think that Brett Bielema was the best hire at the time and is a proven commodity in a way that you have not had in a head coach at Illinois in a long time, there is a steep hill to climb here. And the recruiting so far, the early returns are not indicating that this is going to be a quick turnaround and let alone a turnaround at all. And just look at the history of Illinois football. You know, it's going to take a Herculean effort and really good, competent coaching. And in addition to the recruiting struggling, there have been some coaching questions, especially in late game situations that make me wonder, gosh, darn it, are we really just stuck in the mud in this endless cycle of mediocrity or nothingness? Much ado about nothing. And that's what we do here on the 200 level. We make much ado about nothing. Illinois football is a nothing program, and yet here I come on this podcast talking about it week after week, and as we all try to do, figure out how can this thing work? How will it ever work? Or more importantly, will it ever work? You know, sometimes it's not so much a question of if, but when. This is not a question of when, but if it will ever work, and that is a really dark place to be as a football fan, and we ask so precious little you know, just mediocrity would be totally fine, I think, with most Illini football fans. A few other nuggets today as well. This might be a shorter podcast, shorter midweek podcast before we get back on the horn, probably Sunday morning. I'm going to the exhibition game on Saturday, and that will be against St. Francis of Illinois. I kept saying St. Francis of Indiana, but I think that the next S exhibition game is Indiana, Pennsylvania, or something weird like that. So this is St. Francis. Illinois, it is a small Catholic school, I believe, and we know how that went the last time that you played a Catholic school back in March. I get the feeling the outcome will be slightly different against St. Francis, and I'm just going to be happy to be back in the State Farm Center and presumably cleansing the palate after an awful football game on Saturday morning. That's the good news. Illinois-Penn State is early. You get it out of the way. You go about your day on what looks to be a gorgeous 
fall Saturday in mid-October. I'll take it. Uh, This is going to be two days after my birthday. I don't think there's going to be any birthday surprise with Illinois and Penn State. I do remember looking back at this Illinois-Penn State, I about said rivalry. It's not really a rivalry. But there have been some good moments for Illinois against Penn State. You go back to 2001, and that was the second-to-last game of the season, or third-to-last game of the season. Illinois went 8-1 and after beating Penn State at home, and it was a 2-30 ABC game. Penn State led at halftime, I think, 21-7 to or 17-7. to It was a two-score lead, and then Kurt Kittner in the offense woke up. There was a late run and score, I think, from Rocky Harvey, and Eugene Wilson, I think, wrapped that game up with an interception. Great atmosphere in that stadium, and even at 8-1, just thinking, oh my God, we might play in the Outback Bowl on New Year's Day. Little did I know we'd play in the Sugar Bowl. In hindsight, kind of wish we would have played any team not named LSU with Rohan Davey and Nick Saban as the head coach. Didn't work out so well. But uh, yeah, at 8-1, and one, you knew that this was, at least for me at that age, the best Illinois football season I'd seen. Back in 2007, Penn State comes to town. They're a top 25 team, maybe in the top 20. And you beat them as this sort of arrival game for Ron Zook. The next week, you beat number five ranked Wisconsin, the best two week stretch that I've ever seen at Memorial Stadium. It was an absolute blast. And oddly enough, I went into the bathroom and I missed Aurelius Ben's return touchdown. This is in the West Balcony, and I heard the crowd just erupt. And thought, ah, crap, I missed something. In fact, to get really specific, I'm pretty sure that Calvin Brock was two urinals away from me. And I know that's very, very specific, but he did have the Chicago's finest tattoo on his shoulder. Pretty sure that we both missed that return touchdown. Great afternoon, though. And I remember having been at that point a junior at the University of Illinois, really being able to enjoy that atmosphere and and party hard afterwards and know that this was probably a bull team, if not a little bit better, that we were watching. And then one of my favorites was back in 2010. We played at Penn State. This happened to be Lante's birthday, and I know that he looks back on this game fondly as well. And I was in Chicago visiting a friend for his birthday. It was an 11 a.m. kick, and we stopped by the 7-Eleven near his place. I think he lived in the Lincoln Park area back then. And get all the fixings for the day, drinks, snacks. The Yankees had a playoff game later that night against the Twins. And Illinois just kicked Penn State's ass. I mean, it was a dismantling. And at that point, Illinois, I think, might have been two and two, maybe three and two. And it looked after that Penn State game like, wait a second, Ron Zook might have turned this thing around. Now, kind of he did. They finished six and six in the regular season, seven and six after the Baylor game. But in typical Zookian fashion, some just absolutely head scratching losses. When you saw the dominance that day, that Saturday afternoon, I think it was October 9th. Is that your birthday, Juan? I think October 9th, 2010. Have we beaten them since? Yes, uh, 2014. And that that morning, Brightweiser and I did a college game day live from the studio. It was super windy, but mild. And this is late November, mid-November in Champaign. Might have been 20,000 people in the stands. I mean, people were done with Tim Beckman. You were four and six. This was after Iowa had just kind of smoked you at home. And you beat Penn State on a David Reisner field goal. And at that point, I decided I was going to go to Northwestern the following week. And Riley O'Toole, of course, led you to victory and a bowl game. And that kept Tim Beckman around, at least until the following August. Did we beat Penn State since? You were beating them in Lovey's second year in the third quarter, right? And then the wheels came off. 
And uh, other than that, there's a lot of disappointments in this series. I can't believe I just gave you about four minutes of Illinois-Penn State football memories. Oddly enough, though, there might be more happy Illinois-Penn State football memories than basketball, because it seems like Penn State is a thorn in our side in basketball. Maybe we've changed the tide with that, at least. Okay, before we get too far in this episode, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, go on to dpdoe.com. Now, these guys have been in business for 15 years. They're celebrating 15 years in business, which is hard to do, especially in Campus Town, where all these food places pop up. There was a reason, though, they've been around for this long. It is the best bang for your buck in Champaign-Urbana. They will deliver to anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so you don't even need to go to campus if you don't want to. So again, go on to dpdo.com to make your order today. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Get your swag just in time for Illinois basketball season. Plenty of vintage-inspired Illini shirts, basketball, football, and otherwise. I already got a few in my rotation for basketball season and for the remaining football games. You know, I know we suck, but the shirts, they do not suck. So go on to fourthandkirby.com. Again, that is fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs. Everything from siding to, uh, let's see, decks and patios. You can go on to rectorconstruction.com to see some of the different projects that they've done so far. And what sets these guys apart, the service and the craftsmanship. Here's the thing, though. We know contractors, it can be difficult to get them lined up and know when a job is going to get done. That's not the case with Rector Construction. These guys, they'll let you know when they're coming out and they'll get it done. And that is rare. Hey, if you've had home projects, you know what I'm talking about. So go on to Rector Construction, R-E-C-T-O-R Construction.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at BrianIsMyGuy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, me and Kara's guy for insurance. We got homeowners and auto, really good bundle from State Farm, low price, and they just make it easy. This is our second year with them, and we couldn't be happier. So go on to brianismyguy.com for more information today. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. Okay, let's start with Monday. The Brett Bielema press conference heard around the world, or at least within the East Central Illinois media markets, all the way up to Chicago, and even a little bit outside of that for some college football websites that picked up on this because it was a rather jarring bit of honesty from Brett Bielema. Voice cracking, which is, it's going to do that a few times a day. I apologize for that. <laughs> Long day of school. So I need to start to provide some context before I go into the quote itself with where my criticisms with Brett Bielema lie through seven games of the season. You all know, if you were listening before the season, back when Brett Bielema was hired, that I was as high on this hire as one could be. I was super high on this hire after the Nebraska game. And I think a lot of us were because that game felt different. There was a competence on all three parts of the football field from defense to offense. And of course, special teams, which we knew that going in. And it made me think, well, wait a second. They might have this sort of simplistic approach to football that will work in the big 10 West. Now that hasn't necessarily changed, but it was the late game decision-making against Maryland and Purdue And despite those games going the sort of route that the Nebraska game had gone, right? Just make fewer mistakes than your opponent. And even while at the time I kind of understood where Brett Bielema's head was at, the fact is you lost those games almost as a direct result of, how shall we say, overly conservative play calling and decision making. 
You can go to the Maryland game and look at how you could have wrapped that up on a fourth and two, though at least that was the first time you didn't go for the fourth down. And it was somewhat understandable with Chase Brown and McCray out of the game. So I'll give him that, even though hindsight being 2020, you got to go for it. But then when he doubled down on that against Purdue, called the timeout, came out of the timeout and punted it for not much of a net gain. I think that Purdue started, well, maybe they started from their 10, but nonetheless, go for it, win that game at Purdue. And then all of a sudden the season feels a hell of a lot different. Three and four, let alone four and three, would have us feeling a lot better. And I think it'd probably make their recruiting job a little bit easier. But unfortunately, you are not four and three or three and four. You're two and five, and there is no mojo or momentum behind this thing. The recruiting has stalled. And I'm not going to use the five-star Missouri wideout as an example because I don't need Brett Bielema to get five stars. But you do need to upgrade the talent, and you need to do so rather quickly if you're going to get this thing going and not have a three- to four-year rebuild. Unfortunately, we're staring down the barrel of yet another long rebuild. I hope that's not the case. I hope that the transfer portal can supplement the guys that he is getting from high school. He is doing better in terms of high school recruiting than Lovey did. And the quantity of guys that he's bringing in is fine. But you do need more than what he's bringing in. And it's just a tougher sales job when you lay as many eggs as this team has. and Or more to the point, when you miss as many opportunities as this team has missed. And now it seems like that ship has sailed. We are now in the doldrums of another 2-10 and 10 or 3-9 and nine year. I'd be very surprised if they got more than one other win this entire season. And I don't think it had to be that way. The offense has regressed exponentially. And that's a problem because they weren't even that damn good last year. But they are atrocious. And yes, you did lose a Kendrick Green and a Joshua Matterbebe. And yes, Brandon Peters has regressed, and maybe that has something to do with his mental acuity. I'm not really sure, uh, more than it does Tony Peterson or any guys in the offensive staff. But nonetheless, your offensive staff is not maximizing what you have on offense. And that is an indictment of Brett Bielema for bringing Tony Peterson in. That does not look to be a good hire. Maybe we'll get proven wrong when his guys get in here, but I, I somehow doubt that. It's just really, really bad. Ryan Walters appears to be a pretty good hire, so I'll give him that. Uh, the special teams is what they are, but it doesn't really matter, and I'm kind of sick and tired of the best player on my Illinois football teams being the punter. That was a running joke from back in the Gary Moeller era, and now, essentially, we're back to that point. I'm sick of it, and Brett Bielema could have done better this year, and he could have held this team, I don't want to say held this team together, that's actually going to be the test going forward if he holds this team together, but he could have at least scrounged them up another win or two, despite the lack of talent, and he didn't. I'm kind of sick of that, and that's not just a Brett Bielema problem, that's a problem with being an Illinois football fan and putting my eggs in this particular basket. Those are my problems with Brett Bielema. To provide some context, this is not an orange-colored glasses Illini football podcast by any stretch. However, what he said Monday and the reaction that it caused is a little bit disproportionate to what his real message was. Now, to give you the full context of his quote, this is what he said. I don't believe we have a player in the two deep that they, the Lovey Smith staff, have recruited here over the last three years. That is really significantly doing anything for us in the playing department. That's a major concern. Let's start with that. That quote is telling you that in the last three recruiting classes, there are two guys total that are a part of the offensive line too deep. The rest of them are super seniors, seniors. These are guys that go a little bit further back 
than the last three recruiting classes. So this line is not criticizing anyone that's really making an impact. And it's not even criticizing the two guys that are still there from the last three recruiting classes. It's saying there's been a lot of attrition. And that next year, there are going to be a whole lot of holes to fill. I don't read that when you look at that. I don't read that as an indictment of the players currently on the team. Clearly, others did. And I understand why the initial reaction would be to view it as such. He also went on to say the top two quarterbacks that have played to this point are both transfers, so there hasn't been any development at that position that is playing right now. This is a little closer to the criticisms levied against Brett Bielema this week. This has a little bit more of a ring of, yeah, the quarterbacks suck. (laughs) Uh, One of them was the hand that we were dealt, and you can't really tell Brett uh, Brandon Peters, all right, just leave. Though I guess they could have maybe not assumed that he would be the starter when he said that he would return. And to be quite honest, they could have brought someone else in other than Art Sitkowski. I mean, they did have enough time to go out there and get a better transfer quarterback, and they didn't. And then they moved Isaiah Williams to wide receiver. Nothing wrong with that, um, but you still need a playmaker, a quarterback. And honestly, right now, Isaiah Williams, for all of his flaws as a passer, would probably be a better option than Art Sitkowski or Brandon Peters. Now... Guys that I respect, Mike Claiborne, for example, talked to him all the time on 93.5, and he responded classless. Now, this was Brett Bielema, sorry, Brett Bielema, Brett Barons, another Brett, had tweeted these out, and this got a lot of action, 128 retweets, 739 quote quote tweets, and 939 likes. So I think this is part of the thing that spread. The video that he posted, 577,000 views. So Brett Barons was on it here. He, He could sense... From the minute this was said, this was a big deal, and he got it out there. Mike Claiborne said, classless. I like Mike. We talked to him so much on 93.5, and again, I understand why that's the initial reaction to it, thinking that this is a guy throwing his players under the bus. I remember that well from the Bruce Weber era towards the very end of it, and it made me sick. Uh, But Mike, it's not classless because that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that Lovey Smith sucked. And I think we can all agree with that. Now, I will have the discussion, though. When you're the current coach, just like if you were to say the current president, right, how much can they accuse the guy before them of creating the mess before it starts sounding a little bit like a a cop-out or trying to not take accountability yourself? Of course, there's context to consider here. And of course, Lovey Smith was awful. That's been well documented on this podcast. But I agree that there is a perception that when coaches blame the guy before them, or blame other things in general. It's not always a good look. I get that, but I don't think it's classless, and I especially don't think that it's classless in terms of going after players because that's not what he did. Uh, There were some other guys that I respect. I mean, Herb Lawrence up at 670 to score, Lawrence Holmes as well, um, and they run a great show in the middays. And again, I understand why the initial knee-jerk reaction to this is to be critical of Brett, uh, Brett Bielema. And I actually think as time goes on, there's going to be plenty of sound bites from Brett Bielema that will piss people off, and maybe even me. <laughs> I, I don't have a long leash here for any Illinois football coach. I'm just, I don't have it in me. So I will be, if not an attack dog, I certainly won't be sitting here and, and not criticizing these guys if I think it's warranted. Uh, so yeah, plenty of guys I, I've seen that I respect that seem to have interpreted this as something that I don't think it is. So where does that leave Illinois football right now? You know, I mean, where do you go from here? And 
while this is much ado about nothing, I think the other nothing that we're talking about is the nothing burger that is this team in the last five games of the season. I mean, you know, Doug Kramer and Chase Brown and other veterans on this team spoke out and said, hey, you know, we, we love Coach B and, you know, he's one of the most honest guys we've ever played with. And I believe them. But I do wonder what kind of trickle-down effect these comments have in terms of just the overall attitude. Because that seems to tell the players, even though it's not criticizing them directly, I think that it it sets this idea that, you know, this season is kind of a wash. That's how I read it on Monday. And 48 hours later, I still kind of have that sense that these comments are Brett Bielma telling you, we aren't playing for a bowl game anymore. We don't have much to play for. There's not a lot of depth. This is going to be a big rebuild. And the players can sense that. If they didn't sense him criticizing players directly, which again, I don't think that's what he did. I think they sensed that, well, Coach Bielema might have changed his goals for this season. And that it is more about the long term than it is about this particular season. Now, I don't think that it would matter all that much whether they take a short or long-term approach these last five games, they're going to lose most of them anyways. Four game, four wins is probably the best you can ask for. That would be Rutgers and Northwestern. But that means that you're going to bat 1,000 against bad teams. And unfortunately, I just cannot buy this team doing that. I think they're going to lay an egg against a bad team in addition to the good ones like Penn State and, yes, even Iowa. That was an aberration against Purdue. Iowa will still kick your ass. So this is not going to be a fun final five games of the year. I think you have one more bye week in there, maybe, Um, but who cares? I mean, I'm looking at this game Saturday, and I know that the line I had on Monday was, I'd rather watch grass grow than watch this football team. And I literally mean that. I'm I'm planting more grass seed on Saturday. I'm oddly excited for it, and it's going to be a beautiful day to do yard work. I would rather do yard work than watch this football team. We aren't going to do a podcast, no live reactions for Illinois Penn State, because it's not worthy of a live reaction podcast. And I hate that. I can't believe that this is actually the position we're in after that Nebraska game. Because even though we could have looked at that and said, yeah, this was not a perfect performance, I think we saw, well, wait a second. Despite this team not being the most talented and not having the best offense and maybe having to start Art Sitkowski, a quarterback, they have enough to scratch out five or six wins. I mean, even after after that Nebraska game, I didn't come on the podcast and say, seven or eight wins, guys, look out. I still said, great, this is the start you needed to get five or six. Not going to sniff that this year. It's not going to happen. I mean, okay, could you beat Rutgers, Minnesota, Northwestern? I guess you could, but you won't. I'd love to eat my words, but you won't. There's just not enough there. <laughs> so, And then we go to an offseason. I don't think that the recruiting class is going to be enough to instill a whole lot of confidence in the fan base that this thing is going to turn around quickly. So we're in the doldrums yet again, and it's going to be a long winter, uh, the occasional Illinois football story, and thank freaking God that Kofi came back, and we got a basketball team that we can get pumped up about. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I understand why there was all this reaction to what Brett Bielema said. I'm not going to turn this into necessarily some sort of commentary on outrage culture because, listen, people do overreact on Twitter and people will take things out of context and miss any sort of nuance. It happens all the time. I don't think this was quite as glaring an example of that as others, but I did see smart people miss the basic point that Brett Bielema was making However, 
Brett Bielema, that is maybe the reputation from Arkansas that I, I never saw a lot of concrete evidence from Arkansas. Maybe it was a, you had to be there sort of thing, but you would see these Arkansas fans pop up in these Twitter uh, threads and these Facebook feeds saying, Hey, this is why we're glad he's gone. The guy was a jerk. We might find out that Brett Bielema is a jerk. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. That press conference on Monday did not indicate that, uh oh, Brett Bielema's turning heel on us, but it could happen. And as an Illini football fan, man, anytime I actually think this thing's about to turn around or maybe they got the guy that makes sense, something happens. I still think, though, you know, I, I can't say this for Lovey Smith. I, I appreciated the wild card nature of that hire. Why the hell not nature of that hire? Okay. Even though it failed miserably. And I was willing to give Josh Whitman a mulligan on that. When I look at this hire of Brett Bielema, I don't think there were yellow, let alone red flags. And I think that he was the best option out there because Lance Leipold probably is not the magnetic personality you need to turn this thing around. You need a guy that's coached big boy football. And this sort of swagger with which Brett Bielema operates, I think you kind of need that too. We got it on Monday. And I, I don't mind the honesty. I do mind the losing. And I do mind the late game decision making that cost you two wins. That's what I mind. And that's all I care about. Win some damn football games. So I would love to couple wins with brutally honest press conferences. And that's a coach that I will happily start going back into the stadium to watch his teams play. But for now, I'm going to stay in lot 31 with our big ass TV and not bother even using the football tickets because it's a bad product and it's probably going to be bad. Oh, there goes the voice again. <laughs> bad when it's time to change. Peter Brady style. Um, yeah, I, I probably will not be setting foot in that stadium for a while. That's a damn shame. I could, you know, maybe I'm just not that good of a fan, but tailgating to me is a heck of a lot more fun. And we got a good one coming up next weekend. We got friends visiting 11 a.m. game, some breakfast casserole, 60 inch TV. It's going to be a good morning. So I'm excited for that. And unfortunately the last tailgate of the year, because like many people will be gone or just plain not tailgating for the Northwestern game. And I hate that that thing's on Thanksgiving weekend. I love watching football on Thanksgiving weekend. I just wish that Illinois Northwestern was another time because there were much better games to watch. Even that Illinois Rutgers game on October 30th. At 11 a.m., it's Michigan-Michigan State. And they're both going to be undefeated as long as Michigan beats Northwestern. That's going to be a hell of a game. So I think, depending on how the Illinois Rutgers game is going, I'm going to say, hey, Ken, my friend who bought the TV, let's flip over to the actual game. Wish that game was at, at night instead of uh, 11 a.m. But, hey, those are the decisions we got to make when we're channel surfing with a 2-1-5 Illinois football team. All right, there's another Illini football item. Jake Hansen is retiring. Not retiring, but he is not going to play again for Illinois football. He is underwent, it looks like, knee surgery, and then he will try for his professional career. Good career for him at Illinois, of course. Injury riddled the last couple years, and that's a shame. He came back, and that was a big deal, and unfortunately only played, I think, a couple games since he came back. Um, you know, what can you say for a guy that stuck it out with Bill Cubitt and then Lovey Smith and now his third coach, way too many guys in recent Illinois football history that have been a part of three different coaches. Hopefully he's one of the last ones to have to deal with something like that. But you know, Hey, his legacy is secure, really good linebacker and will be welcome back. Um, anytime he wants to come back to Champaign and hopefully he finds a spot in the NFL. Maybe he's a special teams player. I don't know if you're looking at any sort of starting linebacker thing. Not sure if there's the size there for that, uh, but a good college career, great college career. It's just a shame that 
he wasn't on better teams. So that's too bad for Jake Hansen. Okay, this was an interesting thing that popped up today. Adam Miller tore his ACL, and he's out for the season, of course. It's bad news, and the initial reaction I have is that's just a shame because while I didn't understand his move to LSU, I don't wish any kid to tear their ACL and miss a college basketball season, and I don't really have any ill will towards Adam Miller. Wasn't going to be actively rooting for LSU, but when you see that, you're reminded that, good Lord, I mean, these kids put in a lot of time. This kid put in a a big-ass move, basically a career move, to go to another school, and he was excited to do so, I would assume, and now we won't play this year. Uh, that would suck. That, like if someone told me you can't play any gigs for uh, nine months or you can't even play guitar, or you can't even play your drum set or, you know, that would be a killer. I would hate that. So you're taking away from this guy something that he loves to do. And that's what I always feel bad about when these young guys have these significant injuries, that you're taking away the thing that they love doing for a significant amount of time. That's my first reaction, just, you know, the, the human reaction to it. When I take an Illini fan's approach, there's a, an added layer of sadness almost to this Adam Miller saga. And I say saga because if you go back to the recruitment of him, there was always this uncertainty, will he, won't he? It was drawn out, and this is what big boy recruiting can be, so that wasn't necessarily an issue. But taken in context with him transferring out after starting every game as a freshman and going down to LSU, a team that this year, I think in the Ken Palm is in the low 40s, probably an NCAA team, but like an eight or nine seed. And meanwhile, his former team is probably going to get a one or two seed in the NCAA tournament and potentially win the Big Ten and be great and maybe do some real damage. And and he's it just adds this layer of sadness that a guy that was Mr. Basketball in the state of Illinois, the Peoria connection, the guy that could have built his own legacy at Illinois and have had his own jersey in the Raptors, this idea that you were continuing to build you know, star after star here in the Brad Underwood regime, I, I hate the unfulfilled potential. That's not to say that Adam Miller will not come back as a redshirt sophomore next year a little bit stronger, a little bit better, and maybe the system at LSU will be better for him. I'm not sure. Maybe that will be something that will help him get to the league. But I, I just hate what could have been, you know, as an Illini fan speaking here. I hate what could have been if he had stayed here, been the starting shooting guard, presumably on this team, a starting lineup with Andre Corbello, Adam Miller, Trent Frazier, Jacob Grandison, and Kofi Coburn. And we're seeing the posters right now of Andre Corbello and Kofi Coburn. Adam Miller would have been on those posters with them. I actually think he would have. Now, maybe at that point you would have had to put Trent on there as well, but I think we all saw, especially in February, that Adam Miller was coming into his own. You know, he had the great start to the year with the 28, 29 points or whatever in the first game. He had his struggles, but at the end of the day, he was a really good defender and he was starting to figure it out offensively. He was one of the better players in the Loyola game. And I thought, well, this is great. We at least have him and Andre Corbello. We're going to be fine, even if Iowa and Kofi leave. Well, and then Adam Miller leaves. And you're thinking, good God. He would have been the face of this program, along with Corbello. I think he would have been right there. Those two guys would have been their own marketable duo. The NIL money that he would have been able to get, the image and likeness stuff. Now, I'm sure he's getting, okay, sorry. I, I probably shouldn't say that. Maybe it could be not libelous, uh, what's it, slanderous, right? That's the verbal part of it. Of course, I was about to make a comment about if you go play for Will Wade at LSU, I'm sure you'll get paid. Now, 
I would say that that's a little bit out of line, but look at Will Wade's history. Clearly, that is something that he has done down at LSU and wouldn't be surprised if he does again. That's not to say that Illinois doesn't get their fingers a little bit dirty too, okay? So I'm not trying to just cast stones from afar and say that Illinois is perfect by any stretch. Uh, But I really do think that not only was this a weird move, it wasn't the best move for his career. I mean, the writing was on the wall. There was going to be the image and likeness stuff. And just like Corbello was putting out his own T-shirts and doing advertisements, same with Trent Frazier, Kofi Coburn signed a name image and likeness deal, and he's going to be making bank. And what was it? The Demersion family signed him to a sponsorship sort of sales. I mean, listen, these guys are going to make bank. And they deserve to make bank. Adam Miller would have made bank up here. So when he transferred out just before the image and likeness thing dropped, I thought, dude, you are passing up money because LSU, they might like basketball, okay, but it's secondary. That would be like, uh, okay, Adam Miller to LSU fans, you know, because basketball is secondary to them, like football is secondary to us. Adam Miller to LSU fans would be like, hmm, let's see here. Uh, Donnie Navarro to Illinois fans. Donnie Navarro might be able to make a little bit of money on the image and likeness. And maybe that metaphor is a stretch. It might be a stretch. Couldn't think of a great comp right away. Uh, but yeah, you, you went down to a place where you were not going to maximize your earnings potential based on you know showing up in advertisements or, or tweeting stuff out. I just don't imagine how that could be. Now, Will Wade, again, there's the Will Wade factor. I probably should not sleep on that because that guy clearly knows how to uh, navigate, shall we say, college basketball and the seedier sides of it. It's been on tape. You can look at his Wikipedia article and you can see all the things you need to know about Will Wade and LSU. You know, the other thing about this too, the Adam Miller story, I honestly think it would have I would have been happier for the guy if he had went to like a Michigan or Kentucky. At least that's like a legit move. It was a demotion to go from Illinois to LSU. The exposure isn't the same. Your chances of going deep in the tournament are not the same. And yeah, of course, you can laugh and say, well, Illinois lost to Loyola, of course. But, you know, listen, that happens to even happen to Virginia against the 16 seed the year before they won a national title. Illinois is in better position to make deep tournament runs for the foreseeable future than LS freaking you. They just are. And the idea that it's going to help him get to the pros, I don't know if he was ever going to get to the pros anyways, but I just don't know if I buy that either. It was a puzzling move all around, and then this happens, and it's like what I would hate to see for this kid, and I say kid because he's 19, maybe 20, turning 20 this year, I would hate to see a career just sort of fizzle out because of injuries, but also be compounded by the fact that you might have made a mistake. People would say, well, Carp, how can you sit there in your little basement studio and cast dispersions like that? As Stephen A. Smith always says, cast in dispersions. Now that I watch Stephen A. Smith, don't get the wrong idea. I, I really think it's okay sometimes to call into question the decision that even a kid makes. LSU was a weird decision. And if you don't believe that, then come on, get your head checked. And don't give me this self-righteous, I'm a classy fan sort of thing. Hey, Carp, come on, man. It's a family decision. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. There were certain things that came out about Adam Miller's family, which tells me that maybe he was not always getting the best information. To me, this is a sad story. And yes, part of that is from my Alani-centric view, because he's not on my team anymore. But it's also crazy to think when you flip it to the Alani perspective. Adam Miller gets hurt. 
you got this plumber kid from Utah who's a super senior, right? Fifth-year senior, shoot lights out, probably going to be a better shooter than Adam Miller was last year. Defense will be the question. And, of course, it's a one-year deal where Adam Miller probably had another two or three. I think I still would have taken Adam Miller, and I think you'd be just as highly ranked if Adam Miller were here, if not more so, because I think he was going to make a jump his sophomore year. But talk about working out for Illinois basketball. You lose this guy. At that point, I remember doing a podcast and thinking, it's over. <laughs> you know, we lose to Loyola, and Kofi's leaving, Io's leaving, Adam Miller's leaving. It's all over. If Corbello leaves, I quit. I'm never doing another podcast. Uh, well, fortunately, that didn't happen. But for Adam Miller, it's just a bummer. It sucks. And I, I, I saw that and had this weird kind of like stomach drop sort of thing where you're thinking, good Lord, kid, that, that just sucks. And... Uh, when you open it up a little bit, it sucks on more than just one level. Hopefully he gets healthy, and I hope for his sake he has a long and awesome career, whether that be overseas or somehow in the NBA. That would be tremendous. Um, but, god dang, that's that's a bad break for him and for LSU. An LSU team that was borderline NCAA tournament anyway, and they counted on Adam Miller to be a big part of their team this year. Um, you know, For Will Wade, I don't feel bad, but for Adam Miller, I feel very bad, and that it just sucks. All right, that's all I got for this. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I got one more thing, I think. Okay, so the uh, Nick Rolovich. Yeah, I'll try to keep this short because I know that the vaccine debate is kind of tired. And I don't really have a lot of craps to give anymore. You know, I got my booster Monday and being a teacher, wanted to do that. With my mom being immunocompromised and the holidays coming up, wanted to do that. The whole family's going to do that. Um, Champagne opened up to anyone 12 plus that wants the booster shot that got their second six months ago. Surplus, clearly, of shots that are out there. Now, the vaccine thing, though, uh, the anti-vaxxers or the people that view this as some sort of martyrdom, you know, Kyrie Irving, for example, that think that they're making a, a statement or they're being a voice for the voiceless, which is a great Rage Against the Machine song, but not uh, kind of empty words coming from Kyrie Irving. It's ludicrous. And I, I'm getting a little tired of the martyrdom and this falling on the sword that guys like Nick Rolovich think that they're doing in the name of freedom. There's this weird idea that public health is not really public health at all, that we're all making our own private choices and they don't affect others. And from the very outset of this pandemic, the most disheartening thing was this sort of bullheadedness of, I'm not going to do that, starting with the mask and now bleeding into the vaccine debate. Now, for me, as a younger person that now is boosted and all that, if I'm around an unvaccinated person, I don't really care all that much because I'm not concerned. For selfish reasons, I'm not that concerned for me. But I still have people I care about, especially my parents, that would be at risk. And other people that I care about that would be considered at risk. And I, I think to myself, in this you know richest nation in the world where we were the first ones to get access to this, we helped create these amazing advances in medical science, and it could have been the biggest celebration ever, and yet we somehow pissed down our leg. But I say we. I say we. It is a select few. It is. It's a select few and more like 30% of the population that really dug their heels in and said, I'm not getting this shot. Now, 2.6 billion people in the world have gotten at least one shot. No one has become a zombie yet. Hardly anyone has died from getting the shot. And for those that are vaccinated that got sick with COVID and ended up dying, compare those numbers to the unvaccinated. And it's, it's just data, folks. It's just numbers. 
So well, I'm not going to sit here and turn this into some big sort of soapbox thing. Either you're going to get the shot or you aren't. And I'm not going to hate you if you don't. But I'm going to be confused why you didn't get it in the first place. And for Nick Rolovich to now hire a lawyer and say that he's going to sue Washington State for basically abusive behavior. I don't know if that was the right terminology, but he's going to say discriminatory behavior for sure. Discriminating against him and his right to not get the vaccine. I, I don't feel bad for this guy. Why would I? I don't feel bad for Kyrie Irving. You know, as Charles Barkley, I think, said on the NBA on TNT, Kyrie Irving fancies himself like a Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali didn't go to Vietnam. He was a conscientious objector, right? He foregoed or foregone. What would that be? What would the, the verb usage there be? He gave up a crap ton of money and the prime of his boxing career for a few years because of that. That is actual, you know, self-sacrifice. Kyrie Irving's going to make $17 million. So he's going to be fine. He's just choosing not to get the shot, and he's using this idea of freedom or being the, a voice for the voiceless as this, you know, well, you can't criticize me because I'm doing something righteous. It isn't righteous. Come on. When we talk about picking your battles, and Lord knows I've probably picked some silly battles in the past, but when it comes to something that can actually help those around you, the public health, private decisions affect others when it comes to public health, and this is the easiest decision of all. Yes, I didn't feel all that great after getting my booster. It hit me about 12 hours later, and I was pretty lethargic the next day. Guess what? I'm going to feel that much more comfortable at Thanksgiving and Christmas as my family gets to spend it together again, and I'm not going to be thinking about those 24 hours where I didn't feel all that great. I've had 12-year-old kids at school that they've gotten their shot. And one of them today got back from missing a day because they had a fever. They had some side effects to it. They didn't feel all that great. And they said, you know what? I've never been happier to have a fever. I felt the same way after my second shot because it is a way to get out of this thing. And this last year and a half have sucked on so many fronts. We got a magic bullet, right? We got the magic bullet, the magic pill to end this thing. And yet enough people are doing this sort of pretzel logic to just not take it. And in the name of freedom, don't give me that freedom crap because it has interfered with my freedom to do some of the things that I want to do. When we could have had a blissful summer, if we would have done the same thing that Puerto Rico is doing, well over 90% vaccinated in Puerto Rico, and the numbers back it up because they are not dealing with COVID issues. Now, here's the good news. Delta seems to be slowing down. We're going to be at State Farm Center on Saturday night. I'll wear a mask. I don't care. Some won't. Fine. I'm, I'm not going to run out of there like, ah! You aren't wearing a mask. Whatever. It happens. I mean, I was at a Stones concert. I was at other concerts this summer. People not wearing masks. I wasn't wearing a mask for any outdoor show or at the football game. I'm not one of those people that's going to say, you got to wear a mask or you got to do this or that. People are going to do what they do. But goodness gracious, like this is the weirdest hill to figuratively or perhaps literally die on. And whether that's Kyrie Irving or Nick freaking Rolovich from Washington State, who is now giving up $3.2 million to take this principled stand. What a dumbass. And occasionally, you know, I try not to be too critical of people. You know, I, I think they should all have their, you know, opinions and their right to express those. But some opinions are created less equal than others. And the idea that you are somehow a bastion of freedom for not taking the vaccine, I, I don't buy that. So... So long, Nick Rolovich. And uh, unfortunately for him, 
even a Southern school that might have higher ups that are maybe anti-vax or not really into it, they're going to look at this guy as a pain in the ass. They won't want to hire him. He was willing to give up on his football team because he didn't want to take a shot that 2.6 billion people, a third of the world's population, have take, taken and not had any major issues with. I mean, come on, dude. It's Oh, man. Hey, my voice keeps cracking, so that might be a cue that I should wrap this thing up. That's what happens after a week at school. We got parent-teacher conferences the rest of the week, and uh, I need to get this voice back into talking shape because, ugh, good Lord. Yelling at those kids too much. They've been great. They've really been great this semester. And they don't have an issue with masking. So if you're one of those jerks, just just act like a sixth grader and, and care for those around you. It ain't that hard. They can do what you can too. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, the 200 Level brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's online at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com for vintage-inspired Illini apparel, fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction, that's R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com for all your home exterior needs. That's rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, brianismyguy.com. For Illini Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, I'll be back on Sunday after going to the Illinois-St. Francis exhibition game at the State Farm Center. And, of course, you can find me in the 200 level. Mm-hmm.